Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Dave Bartu is the college football matrix. He is uh, one of the founders of Matrix Analytical, does some consulting. He has put out a coaching database, and he's done this for a while, but he has given the public some access to it now. Who are the best coaches in the Pac-12? He's put out a coach rating index. Matrix Analytical Solution is broken down the league's all-conference coaching staffs. Who are they? Where are they? And how did he determine, using data, who the good coaches are? Dave Bartu joining us now. Thank you, my friend, for making time for us. Dude, it's all dart. That's how we determine it. It's all dart. <laughs> science? So, no science, yeah, just yeah, darts. Yeah. No, no. We just we put all the unit coaches in alphabetical order, take a shot of whiskey, and throw a dart. And then write it down, <laughs> and then take another shot. So by by, by the, the by the end we're on shot twenty four yeah and we've got first three so, no no you you know me and a little consulting ah oh, come on man we only have the biggest college football search engine in the world right now I mean it's uh it, it's fun having an impact on college football but uh, no we we there's actually some numbers and reason behind uh, first and second team all Pac twelve. Uh, coaching staffs this year. All right, so we we generally try to try to co- quantify player performance. Mm-hmm. You right. have done this for decade plus, where you have tried to quantify coaching performance. How much has the uh, how much has the tool itself that you use to measure the coaches with changed, or the data that's going into the system? Uh, we started back in two thousand nine with a goal of of creating this of of leading college football into analytics on on the staffing side because you know that that's that's really what moneyball was about it wasn't on-field performance it was off-field and, and roster development and we decided to do it with staffing so we've been keeping track of every guy to wear a headset uh in the fbs and fcs since 2009 and we've been keeping track of every play in fbs and fcs so since 2009 there have been just about 4.2 million snaps of the football. Uh, There have been 15,182 different guys to wear a headset. And for for everybody listening, guys that wear the headset, uh, basically there's 11 guys on any staff uh, that can wear a headset during the football game. Uh, These are your highest paid guys. There's a lot of other assistants, valuable assistants, but we just focus on uh, the known quantities, the guys are in charge of the units. And then we use all that play-by-play data to, to analyze them. Now, over the years, a couple things that have changed. Um, one of the things is we started adding in talent that you have versus the talent that you're facing. Okay, so in, in our backyard, we, we, we know that what? We know Oregon has out-recruited Oregon State every year, basically, for the last 15 years, right? So when, when, when Oregon and Oregon State have the exact same schedule, the talent difference between Oregon and the other 
12 teams on the schedule and Oregon State and the other 12 teams, two totally different talent profiles. So guys that have less talent that do equally well, let's say as the guys with more talent, we, we started balancing things out using talent numbers, and then we started balancing things out using progression. Does a coach get better or does a coach get worse? Um, and uh, Helfrich was one of kind of the examples of that uh, because we were looking at his four-year average at Oregon. It's like, ah, oh, it doesn't look too bad. But it regressed from a championship team to fired in, in 48 games, basically. So we have a regression and a progression uh, part of the equation that weighs in on, on, on good and bad coaches. Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, is with us. I'm looking at your Pac-12 first and second teams, and mm-hmm. you gave head coach Lincoln Riley a 94.26 rating. He is your first-team head coach. The play mm-hmm. caller, your first-team play caller, is also Lincoln Riley. Uh, right. Your defensive play caller, Morgan Scally. Interesting mm-hmm. that those are the two teams that made it to the Pac-12 title game last season. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, is – and now, every, everybody listen, and let's, let's, uh, the one thing I want to remind them is everybody had to have at least four years mm. at their position to even qualify for grading. So no one hit wonders, right? No Doug Belk that drops a top 10 defense one year and then a bottom 10 the next. So, uh, you know, Riley, Lincoln, and Morgan have both been doing this. I think Lincoln has been a head coach for seven years. I think he's been a play caller for 10. He's been doing it for a decade, and just an extraordinarily high level. But, yeah, it's also no coincidence that your best teams uh, either, A, have the best talent, and or, B, have the best talent and the best coaching. Jim Mahalchek, Oregon State's offensive line coach, is your first-team All-Pac-12 offensive line coach. He is a difference Uh maker at Oregon State. How, How big of a difference maker is he in your mind? He is, uh, I think he is, I think he's top 10 nationally as well. I mean, he is an absolute gift to Corvallis. He is an excellent coach. Um, the numbers in both the running and pass. So when we're grading offensive line coaches, uh, they have two separate, or actually they have three separate grades. They have a run game grade. They have a pass blocking game grade. And then they have a composite uh, offensive line performance grade. So offensive line, it is really hard to be on top of this list. And uh, I actually, before they even, before I was even handed the list, I had my data guy run all of it. Kind of figured he would be there. Um, and, I, and I'm excited for some of these guys because a lot of them don't get any notoriety. But uh, that, that is the, in terms of our grades, that is the number one graded guy uh, in Corvallis right now. Mahal check gets a big pay raise from Oregon State. That makes sense to me. Uh, I want to go down the list here. You do see some guys like, uh, you know, Bobby April at Stanford. He's the linebacker coach uh, who's on your staff. Why doesn't why doesn't somebody try to poach, you know, a coach like that from Stanford, given the history? Or is the relationship with Stanford what keeps a guy like that there? Well, Bobby April. Um... I'm actually surprised he ended up at Stanford because Bobby April last year was on Wisconsin staff. Mm. And this this has been a guy that we've had circled for years. He has been a five-star linebacker coach at Wisconsin. Everybody they gave him, they stuffed the run. The the, the linebacking core at Wisconsin has been unbelievably good for an extremely long time. And that whole staff got laid off with Paul Chris last year. 
And that was a top 20 staff minus the head coach. Um, and beyond Bobby April, this is kind of a, I, I think Stanford itself um, is way off the radar in terms of how good this staff is. You know, what they, went, what they went from and where they're at right now. Troy Taylor has done an absolutely excellent job. Top three new staffs in all of college football. Uh, and April is one of them. Now, April is their new defensive play caller. Mm. He's never done that before. So there is, there is your risk in Bobby April. But uh, Bobby April is not only the first-team all-pack all 12 linebacker coach. Uh, if we had a national list, he is also the number one graded linebacker coach with more than four years' experience in all of college football right now. Fantastic. Uh, Dave Bartu is with us. How do you parse out, you know, programs that are getting better talent? And, you know, because we often, uh, you know, we'll hear coaches say, you know, if I had better players, if I had the Jimmies and the Joes, I could be a better coach. What do you say to them? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's, there's a lot to say with that because by our numbers – uh, winning and losing games in college football at the FBS level, it's about 63, 64% recruiting. Okay. If, if you, if you, if you and I sat down and there's going to be 738 FBS versus FBS games this year, and we just circled, regardless of home or road, if we just simply circled the best recruiter on all of those games, you and I would get about 64% of the, the winners, right? Straight up on recruiting, nothing else. Okay. Um, most of the rest of it is going to be the coaching side of it. So, you know, you could say, hey, I, I need better players to get where I need to go. Yes, that will help. But if you don't have a good coaching staff, you're probably going to get fired. You know, last year there were 17 guys in the FBS that were fired. Outside of Paul Christ, the other 16 all had one side of the ball in our grading system that was in the bottom half of the country rankings coming in. It was a below-average offense or defensive support staff. So to us, staffing is about 30 30 to 35% of the equation. So it's not as important as recruiting, but all too often, and I'm guilty of this years ago as well, is we overvalue the recruiting and we don't pay enough attention to the coaching side. But it's very difficult to do staffing because a lot of these guys don't have time to develop relationships. Most of them don't have time to develop relationships and identify good coaches. So it's a special talent to be able to staff very well, um, especially with young coaches. That, that usually takes a little bit of time. In our backyard with, with Dan and with Jonathan, uh, Jonathan is an incredibly good example of ability to staff. I mean, he, he's gone from bottom 25 staff his first year to top 25 now. Uh, and Dan has been very good at identifying young guys uh, like Hampton uh, that are coming up through. Uh, so staffing to us is is really key to success in college football as well. Dave Bartu, the college football matrix, is with us. He's talking about uh, his report where he has graded coaching in the Pac-12 conference, first team, second team. Your second team head coach is Kyle Whittingham, offensive play caller Ryan Grubb at Washington uh, let's talk about those two guys. Uh, let's start with Grubb. Mm-hmm. He gets he got a couple of raises last year, and Kalen DeBoer happy to have him there. How much of a difference maker is Ryan Grubb at Washington in your mind? G- ginormous, ginormous. They went from the outhouse to the penthouse uh, in one year. That was uh, they had well, number one, they had massive upgrades across the board. Um, going from the former head coach uh, to DeBoer was huge. 
Um, you know, DeBoer only has three years in as a head coach, so he didn't even qualify for this list for those wondering about him. Um, and, and with Grubb, I was on your show last year. I'm like, this is, this guy is easily top four play callers in the Pac-12. You know, we had, we had, uh, Lincoln Riley, we had Chip Kelly, uh, we had Ryan Grubb, uh, and, and so Ryan was right in there. Uh, he bumped up a lot this year. Uh, because of the progression, Washington went from basically nothing on offense to top 20 last year. Uh, and, yeah, I know Penix is going to be a first round, maybe even the first pick next year. But there was a massive progression instantly in that Washington offense. Uh, so that actually boosted him up where where he was, uh, where he's number two going into the 2023 season as the offensive play caller. It's off script a little bit, but you know, you, you mm-hmm. just said something that, that made me think about uh, Oregon and Will Stein. You got a new play caller at Oregon, but you have mm-hmm. Bo Nix coming back. How concerned should I... Duck fans be about that marriage, that unity, given that Grubb and Penix are at a rival school? You know, I, I uh, the, the, with Stein, okay, so Stein has one year. You know, let's take a look at Stein uh, okay. as the first part of that equation. He had a really good year last year, okay? Um, he, he, he was top five rookie offensive play callers in all of college football last year out of, out of UT San Antonio. So he had an excellent year. But, again, it's one year, so we, we shouldn't get too far over our skis on it. So the concern, if you're a Ducks fan, you're like, oh, man, is, is he going to perform the same – or even close to the same and have a top 20 offense like he did at UTSA. And under normal circumstances, I would say, you know, let's really slow our role. That is a big concern. But look what Bo Nix did for Kenny Dillingham last year. Okay? I know Duck fan loved Kenny Dillingham. I know they were top 10 offensive scoring efficiency. But Kenny called the plays at Florida State the previous two years, and they weren't top 50 in anything, anywhere. And gets to Oregon – and I don't know how much of it was Kenny versus how much of it was a scheme, the offensive line, Bo Nix, but I'm less worried about having a second-year offensive coordinator with a super veteran, awesome quarterback uh, with what he did last year for, for his first year with Oregon. A lot less concerned about it for 2023 because of what he did last year. Still concerned about where Stein's going to go, but it is a very good calculated risk by Coach Lanning to bring in a rising star offensive coordinator to Eugene. Dave, it's going to be fun to watch the football. We're all waiting Mm -hmm. for the media deal to be done. Media day next Friday in Vegas. If, if uh, you could go to media day and talk to any of the coaches, any of the players, what would you ask them? Because I'll be there and I can say, Hey, Dave Bartu told me to ask you blah, blah, blah. What, you know, what do you want to know? The ones I work with will probably deny I even exist. Yeah. Holy moly! Um, what what would I what would I want to know? What what kind of question would I the guys I'd want to talk to? I would want to so in Arizona, so Arizona, I would want to the two questions I would have one would be for Coach Jed Fish. What happens if the defense is as crappy as it was last year? This was a top top thirty offense and a bottom thirty defense. Are you going to make changes? mid-season if you're going down the same path as you did last year, which is massive underperformance. 
Um, and, and I know you'd phrase it a little bit differently in that, but that, that comes right off the top of my head. What do you do about that defense? Uh, I'd also want to ask Delora a question. There, there's a guy there is a man. I could, I think I could, t- I could answer. I could ask questions for half an hour right now as I'm going through this, right? <laughs> you know, if we went through team by team, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd want to talk to Delora about his goals and what he thinks his NFL future is. Cause I think he's one of the biggest underrated quarterbacks in all of college football. Um, I think the one under over overline question that I can think of right now for everybody. And when you look at the first and second team, if you look at all the offensive grades and all the defensive grades, you will notice one thing. The offense absolutely dominates the defensive grades. This is a massively offensive-oriented conference. The defensive grades are not great compared to the offense. These are all still rock star coaches, but the offense, it just feels like it's light years ahead. I would ask everybody outside of probably Utah, uh, and Oregon State, because Oregon State had the best scoring efficiency defense last year. And by the way, rising star Trent Bray, he's, he's badass too. Um, I would be asking everybody, what are you doing on the coaching side of the defense to get better? Because everybody's figured out the offensive side pretty good. What are you doing on the defensive side to improve? Because that universally is the weakest area in the Pac-12. Dave, Martu, you're the best. <laughs> Where can people find the full coaching rankings? Oh, well, you know something? It was put out by CBS Sports and 247. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, I've been tweeting the links for, for all um, Power 5 conferences out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're out here in Forest Grove, uh, I'm an equal, equal opportunity beer drinker. So if anybody <laughs> wants to meet at Minimum's Grand Lodge and talk football all evening and shove beers down my throat, I'm happy to, to trade stories for beers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll trade stories for beers. Hey, let me ask you on the uh, yeah. on the rankings. If you mm-hmm. blend together all the Power Fives, who is yeah. the best head coach by your rankings in Power Five football? Who's the best offensive play caller? Oh, uh, best head coach is still Nick Saban. I mean, you can't deny what he's done since two thousand nine. Uh, Kirby's right behind him. Then Lincoln Day, Dabo, uh, and Jim Harbaugh. There's your top six right there. Um, order them any way you want. We have Nick number one. Uh, play callers, still Lincoln Riley. It's still Lincoln Riley. Um, his numbers, I mean, he chews through quarterbacks. He, I know a lot of people say, well, his schedule hasn't been that tough. Yeah, but he, does, he hasn't even had a bad year. Not one. After 10 years of calling plays at three different schools, uh, he's still the best offensive play caller. Uh, in all of college football, and the best defensive play caller, former UW defensive coordinator, was Chris Peterson, Kajkowski. Uh That's uh, that's your number one guy that we have as a as a play caller because we don't know Kirby's calling the plays or not, so we're not giving it to him. So Kajkowski used to be there as well. Dave Bartu, I appreciate you. Thank you for your expertise, your knowledge, and your humor. I'm in your backyard, man. Anytime, buddy. Anytime. I'm not trading beers for information, though, but I I do like talking with you. <laughs> Take it easy, brother. There he goes. Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix. Uh, uh, what do you think about all that, Judah, as he breaks down all of the uh, all of the coaching, skaking out on it? I think this is good off-season talk. I love it. I love it. I, I think it's a little bit um... – you know, fans might find it boring that Lincoln Riley is so great, but it is a good reminder that this is an alpha of among play callers in the history of the sport, you know, that's uh, still in the Pac-12 conference. And by the way, 
a play caller that Trent Bray absolutely befuddled last year. And I keep coming back to that game, you know, because Caleb is heralded as the best athlete we've seen in a decade to play the quarterback position in college football. And the Beavers had him all sorts of tangled up. They had Lincoln Riley all sorts of tangled up in front of a half, you know, capacity stadium because of the renovations. And if it wasn't for five turnovers, they pull off that upset. They pull off that win. And we're talking about an 11 win season potentially. Yeah, and I think uh, Oregon State, that's the one they wish they had back. I mean, if Chance Nolan plays a little better on the offensive side of the ball, you, you know, that was a game where Caleb Williams in the USC offense, was sit, they were sitting on three points, you know, deep into the game. And mm-hmm. if you got anything at all offensively at Oregon State, and I think that's why there's so much hope this season with Oregon State and DJ Uyunglele and – uh, of course, Aiden Childs, the future of the program, and maybe even Ben Galbrinson, who, who was serviceable down the stretch last year, that there's a little bit of hope that if they can get a playmaker at that position, they can take a step forward that would be a, uh, a an interesting step forward, to say the least. All right, we're going to talk uh, with tra- about traditions in the Pac-12. Anna's going to pop in the studio. Why don't you leave it here? you got the BFT statewide. Traditions are big in sports. I'm not talking about superstitions. I'm talking about traditions, big-time traditions. Some of the biggest traditions in college sports um, um, obviously include things like uh, like the uh, the haka dance that uh, Hawaii and BYU do before games. Um, you've got uh, Tommy Trojan of USC planting the sword at midfield. You've got West Virginia. Um, playing John Denver's song, Take Me Home, Country Road. They, they play that uh, since 1971. They've done it. Uh, you got Smokey uh, at Tennessee, the mascot, 1953. They had uh, Smokey come out. You have the Smurf turf at Boise State. Um, I'm just, you know, thinking about traditions in college sports. And in particular, USA Today did a piece where they focused on traditions of the Pac-12 conference. Here to talk about it, Anna, who has stepped into the studio. Um, Notice I didn't yell there's a mouse in the house. Thank goodness. Uh, Let's talk about traditions, okay? Uh, And I'm going to go through some of these. And Judah, I want your input as well, because I want to talk about what you guys think the biggest tradition in the Pac-12 conference is. I'll give you the nominees, and then you tell me, what the biggest tradition is, okay? I might do some as well. But let's start with running with Ralphie at Colorado. Traditional? Is that a tradition, Anna? You think it's a good tradition? Uh, I think it's entertaining. I am mixed on the idea of having hmm. a live animal running on the field in that manner. It's a tradition, though. It is. It is a tradition. I think it is. It's the, visual. The, it's memorable. Ralphie the bison. Not a buffalo comes onto the field with about five handlers wearing blue jeans and button-up shirts, and they have this little horseshoe formation around the uh, around the bison, and they let this thing run, and they're holding leashes, and um, um, you know, a lot of times I'm watching to see if one of the handlers falls. <laughs> And, and doesn't drop the leash, because if they don't drop the leash, they get dragged on the field. But um, it feels like a tradition. It feels like a tradition. 
you've been there uh, in person, right? Yeah. To see this? It, yeah, I've seen it a number of times, as people have seen it on TV. How about uh, sailgating at, at Lake Washington at Husky Stadium? People who bring their sailboats up to the lip of Lake Washington. And, uh, you know, even Steve Sarkeesian parked his own boat there when he was coaching. He called it Noah's Sark. Noah Sark. Get it? <laughs> um, is that a tradition, sailgating at Lake Washington? How about the duck on the back of the Harley Davidson coming into Autzen Stadium on game day? Are those traditions in your mind, Judah? Yeah, they're absolutely uh, – I don't know about sailgating, actually. <laughs> that one, yeah. I don't know. To me, a tradition's got to be either, you know, I guess a tailgate tradition in the parking lot yeah. and something in stadium. You know, I think the chopper, okay. the duck is great. I think the never rains, Don, Don Essig Ooh, yeah. thing, I think that's part of it, although I don't love that one, but I kind of get it. I like things Wait, wait, that... wait. You, wait. You don't love when Don Essig goes <laughs> – it never rains at Autzen Stadium. I just don't. I I just don't. Get no one's it. ever said that out loud. I know. I know. You're saying Such an what nobody take. will say. Such an original take, and we love Don. I have him on the show every year with you, but uh, yeah. that's one that I just I, leaves me scratching my head. But in okay, a way, fans, here's the weather report for today's game. It's 70 degrees. Slight wind from the north and some clouds, but you know the real weather report. It never rains at Autzen Stadium. Wow. You, you, uh, you're not feeling that yeah, one. I don't love it. I don't love it. I think there's some backstory to that. Uh, uh, with Essig and there was an umbrella band for the games, and uh, one of the athletic directors was kind of being – Weird about, you know, hey, we're not going to allow umbrellas. And I think uh, it was a joke that was made, and it just kind of stuck. I wonder if they'll continue it after Don Essex stops being the PA announcer. Hmm. You know? Also, Do they still they still say Rip City, Bill Shonley. That's you know? iconic. But it never rains, isn't? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> how, about, uh, how about Arizona? Bear Down. Wait, back up to Oregon, though, because I think the article talks about the song Shout from Animal House. Yeah. And that's sung between the third and fourth quarters. I don't know if I haven't been to enough Ducks games. You but, haven't. Um, you haven't. I don't remember You have that. to be there. It's yeah. one of those things where you have to be there. Yeah. They're not, you're not going to get it on TV. Right. How many Oregon Ducks football games at Autzen Stadium have you personally witnessed? I've... Yeah. Not very many. Probably four or five. Not very many. I've seen the Ducks play in other cities a lot. Yeah, they're right? not going to do it in other cities unless it's a bowl game. <laughs> right. The other city's not going to be like, you know what? You the know Ducks what are here. <laughs> we should totally make them feel like they're at home. You know? No. It, it's at the end of the third quarter, between the third and fourth quarters. Now, I think it got a little overblown with, uh, you know, when you had uh, Die running around the field dancing, distracted. It almost became so much of the show that it was less the fourth quarter was just like started with a bad play mm. if the Ducks were on defense because you had Die as a linebacker who was running around on the field more interested in dancing than he was <laughs> in making a tackle on the first play of the fourth quarter. <laughs> but it, it you know, but it is it, it's a nod to Animal House, nineteen seventy eight, filmed on the campus in Eugene. Washington State has some traditions. 
they uh, they play a song uh, like Oregon does. Like Oregon plays that Matt uh, Kearney song, Matt Carney mm-hmm. song. Uh, I think it's like Coming Home. Yeah. They play that song uh, during the uh, great song during the uh, you know start of uh, of the uh, during the first quarter. It's like during a break, the first break in the action. But Washington State does a very similar thing. They have a song, but they, Washington State has another one that USA Today pointed out. Like USA Today, I don't think they got this all right. Because for Washington State, they have the game day flag. Mm-hmm. They got known for that. Like every episode of Game Day for 20 seasons, starting in 2003, had a homemade flag for Washington State flying. Mm-hmm. You know, it, wherever the game day is, Washington State flag shows up. Hmm. Somebody's job to get it there. But. If you go to a Washington State football game, they do a very uh, similar thing with uh, with the song that, that gets played. And people say, oh, it's kind of a ripoff, whatnot. But, you know, Washington State fans will sing, you know, uh, Andy Grammer song, Back Home. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. That plays. That. I love that song. I actually don't understand what it has to do with Washington State. But, <laughs> I, you know, maybe I don't know. But they will play that song during the games. Um, are, are we talking about traditions, though, in the true sense? Because, like, this isn't like the Gipper. This isn't like the old oaken bucket in the uh, Purdue-Indiana battle. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like the one of the greatest traditions of the Pac-12 was the Civil War football game. And then everyone all of a sudden said, you can't say Civil War anymore. Yeah. You know? Even though... That had nothing to do with the the act like the Civil War, first of all, and then secondarily, the Civil War came out okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, didn't the good guys win? Right. We I talked to a historian. <laughs> we had him on the show, and he said, you know, for people who think referencing the Civil War would be a negative thing. Yeah. And he gave a whole background on how great it was that you know the Civil War was, you know, it, is it wasn't as simple. As saying that the Civil War was a war that was fought to end slavery. It yeah. wasn't quite that simple. Right. But it had largely positive connotations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people don't want to say it anymore. Mm. I think they thought it was too trite to call a football game. I Yeah, but well, we, we throw long bombs in a football game. Mm-hmm. You know? There's a Hail yeah. Mary going on. <laughs> it's going to be a Hail Mary pass. It's a long bomb. It's not actually a bomb. Okay? It's a pass. Yeah. You know, this, we're not going through TSA. You know, it's not like we can't talk about things in hyperbole in sports. You know, like we couldn't do that, there would be no broadcast. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the entire broadcast is hyperbole. So it's, it, it, you know what I mean? It feels to me like, I don't know. At the end, you know, what, that's what we do in sports. We make it, we make things far bigger than they really are. This is theater. First and goal at the nine. Mariota, play fake, looking, I mean, you know, isn't it? Isn't that what we do? Yeah, we. It's dramatic. Yeah, we we set football to Titanic it's soundtrack. Marcus Mariota on the front of the boat with his arms raised. <laughs> With Chip Kelly behind him, holding him around the waistband. You know? <laughs> That's what we do. Okay? 
Um, but, you know, I, I kind of look at these things, and I get it. USA Today is trying to fill some time in what is a slow week when it comes to the sports calendar. And they're saying, here are the great traditions of the Pac-12. It's Ralphie. It's sailgating at Washington. It's, you know, USC's two-finger salute, you know, because Homer used to cut off the first two fingers of their defeated enemies, like the Trojans did that, according to Homer. Mm. Homer said that the Trojans cut off the first two fingers of their defeated enemy's right hand, because that, why would they do that? It would prevent them from holding a sword. Hmm. So instead of killing them, they just cut off their fingers and be like, you can't fight anymore. Sorry. I didn't know that. Yep. So, yeah, you didn't know it. It's a great no. tradition, so great that you didn't know it. <laughs> bear down at Arizona. Yeah. Okay, there's a story for bear down. People may not know it. I definitely don't know Okay, that so here it goes. 1926, John Bird Button Salmon. What a name. Yeah, they called him Button. John Bird Salmon. He was in a car accident, shattered his spine, left him paralyzed. Two weeks later, he would die from the injuries. But he spent the night before his death with Arizona coach Pop McHale, who asked him, what do you want to share with your teammates? And Salmon said, tell them to bear down. That's where that bear down slogan at Arizona was born. No way. It's a win-win for the Gipper tale. So there you have it. Do you think most Arizona fans know that? Or do they I just say so. it? Is it just something they say? I know when I first started covering the Pac-12, I was confused by it. Yeah. Because I was like, they're not the Bears. Right. The, like the Cal Bears should have bear down. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, bear down comes from like a saying. Um, Arizona State does forks up. You get forks up. Yeah. But that's not, a, that's not like a great tradition. That's yeah. just people making a hand gesture that looks like a pitchfork. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how about Cal? How about Oregon State? Oregon State has the first down song, you know, da 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 da, da and the whole stands goes whoosh. Yeah. And everybody goes whoosh. Um, there you go. That's a tradition. It's also a tradition to find ancient mammoth bones in the stadium when you were <laughs> digging around down there. Um, I just think we need some better traditions. Hmm. You know, like, that's your assessment. Yeah. What 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 is the best tradition in the Pac-12, Judah? What is the greatest tradition that the Pac-12 conference has to offer? Yeah, well, I see traditions a little differently. You know, with the Pac-12, um, I'm going to miss the Larry Scott upscale hotel rooms for no apparent Ooh, yeah. reason. That was one of my favorite traditions. Also, Champagne, Larry. grainy uh, television footage of 7:45 kickoffs oh, with oh, Dave Fleming geez. and Rod Gilmore yes, on the call. Tradition. Yeah, the yeah people getting mad at the broadcasters. Big, How about officials? Officiating. Uh, that's such a good one. Yeah, Woody Dixon greatest. randomly showing up. That's a tradition <laughs> yeah. unlike any other. Um, greatest tradition of the Pac-12 yeah. is the officials huddling Forgetting to do review. <laughs> what down it is or yeah. like mismarking something and then apologizing for it later. I'm just um, gonna, the chainsaw yeah, at Oregon State, in all in all seriousness, is mm, I, I kind of mm, like that one. Even though Didn't make USA Today. No. Well, it should have, yeah. Because uh, they're not doing their homework. You know, that's that's the problem. <laughs> That's actually a chainsaw. That's the chainsaw. It's third down. That's true. I think that's that's bigger than that song that they play. Do you remember when they did Crank It Like a Chainsaw? They did a song? Mm-mm. You don't remember this? Vaguely. Oh, I got to play a little bit of this tune. Just a little bit. Just a sample. Yeah, they like the way I do this. When I crank it like a chainsaw. Yeah, they like the way I do this. 
When I crank it like a chainsaw Full throttle, heavy metal, set the bar Next level, wasteland, getting all janky So glow, chainsaw I don't know why that didn't take off They played yeah. that where? Oregon Once? State, that was Oregon State's thing really? yeah, I think it was like 2013-ish hmm. Became a thing Crank it like a chainsaw Until it wasn't and a then, thing yeah. I don't know why I didn't get Like Sometimes it baffles me that things don't take off You know, like the Edsel why didn't that car work? You know? The Etzel? You don't even know it. This no, is one I of these don't. things. That, are you kidding me? I thought me? of Jim Etzel. You were you were an international business yeah? major. You were a double major. Should this have been a unit in one of my classes? This is a business lesson. Okay. Okay? The Etzel car. The Etzel. Yeah. The Etzel was supposed to be a big hit, and the, the car huh. just bombed. Huh. And it's used. It's held up today as a example of why, like, you know, a... Uh, uh, of a disastrous business move. Hmm. Ford Motor Company made a division 1958 to 1960. It was called the Etzel. And they discontinued it because nobody bought the damn car. Nobody liked it. It was ugly. Nobody wanted it to have one. It was just ugly. Got discontinued. And uh, I think they sold like, you know, half of what they needed to break even. It was a it was disastrous failure. People have said that it was the style of the vehicle. Others have said it was poor workmanship. Others have said it was a marketing disaster that Edsel has now become synonymous with the real-life commercial failure of a, of a product. Oh, it's like geez. the Titanic. It's the Edsel. Okay. For crying out loud, why am I educating you? You went well, to Pepperdine. I must not what? have been paying attention. Well, I need to Pepperdine day. to send me a check. Right I was now. at the beach. At the commercial break, <laughs> I would like Pepperdine to reimburse me for my effort in educating Anna about the Edsel. <laughs> What was that We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.